Welcome to Christian Renewal Church Sunday Sermon. Thanks for tuning into our series, Kingdom Come, based out of our study on the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. For more information about this sermon and other resources, visit ChristianRenewalHHI.org. This morning, I want to take some time to push us right back into our Kingdom Come series. Remember, we're looking at the Beatitudes, the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5 through 7. I read this week that the Sermon on the Mount was the most quoted piece of scripture for the church in the first three centuries. We have it for the first three centuries that they're constantly dealing with the the Sermon on the Mount. Did you guys enjoy Pastor Corey last week? Yeah, it was good. Good. So good. All right, let's pray over the word. Lord, we love you. We celebrate you. We ask that you would pierce our hearts this morning. God, we make ourselves vulnerable to the piercing of your word. Give us ears to hear, hearts to receive. You be Lord in this service. We celebrate your kind voice, God. Stir us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Somebody say, yes, God. Yes, Lord. This week as I was preparing... Um, I thought about um, a moment in Corey Tim Boom's life. Do you guys remember the story of Corey Tim Boom and um, her and her sister Betsy were helping their father um, essentially hide hide Jews from their community um, during the Holocaust, and they get arrested. They um, end up in a concentration camp. Um, Corey says that she gets released from the concentration camp on a clerical error. They weren't supposed to release her, but she did get released. And the day after she was released, they murdered all the women that were her age. Her sister Betsy was really what I was thinking about this week. Her sister sister Betsy was kind of her strength, her hope. Um, Betsy struggled with some physical ailment. I think she had some type of anemia for most of her life. And she wasn't a strong personality. At least it doesn't feel like she was nearly as strong as Corey. There was an instance in the early days of the war where Germans were dropping bombs around their home, around Betsy and Corey's home. And uh, Corey's praying and Betsy's praying and Corey hears Betsy start to pray for the Germans. And Corey would say that Betsy believed that the Germans who were dropping bombs on them had got caught up in some kind of evil and she felt compassion for them. So while there are bombs being dropped on their city by Germans, Betsy is praying for the Germans and Corey said that um, she looked at her sister in amazement and then continued to pray her own prayer, whispering this. She said, oh Lord, listen to Betsy, not me. I cannot pray for those men at all. <laughs> when they entered the, the concentration camp, Corey said that Betsy told her that that they were going to teach these guards how to love. If they had been taught how to lo- how to hate, surely they could be taught how to love. They learned while they were in the concentration camp that a man that they had given money to, a man came to their house and asked for money, and they gave him money, that this man had betrayed them, and he had turned them over to the officials, um, exposed them for, for hiding Jews. and um, So this man was the reason they were in jail. And, and Corey said, uh, she said, I was so furious I could kill him. She said, she asked Betsy, she said, Betsy, how do you feel about this? And Betsy said, I pray for the man as often as I think of him. Betsy died in the concentration camp just before Corey would be released. And she had a vision. She said she had a prophetic vision that she saw um, with her eyes, a vision. 
And in the vision, she saw Corey and herself fulfilling this ministry. And this ministry was going to be dealing with um, all the people affected by the war and try to bring them to peace. She saw in her vision that guards and German soldiers were going to come to Christ and come to repentance. The next day after she had that vision, she died. Um, but Corey was released right after on a clerical error, and and Corey would spend all of her life dealing with um, the war and preaching forgiveness and preaching um, grace. Corey says that, um, you you know, after after Corey was released, she became a prolific writer. Her book, The Hiding Place, is a bestseller. Um, But she was also like a pretty hot preacher. She could preach the word, boy. She could bring it. Um, And she said one night she was preaching a sermon on forgiveness when a guard from the concentration camp um, that she and Betsy spent time with, approached her as she has finished. And the guard said this, A fine message, he said to her. How good is it to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea? And he extended his hand in greeting. Corey said that she, like, all but panicked, like, completely froze. She said this, she said, I, who spoke so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take his hand. He would not remember me. But I remembered him in the leathered crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. The man continued, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there, but since that time I have become a Christian and I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I'd like to hear it from your lips as well. And he extended his hand again and said, will you forgive me? She all but panicked. She said that, that her, Betsy and herself had been stripped naked in front of this man while he screamed and beat other women that she was having a real struggle in her heart. She said she recalled the verse Romans 5, 5, which says that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And she took his hand and felt God's compassion and love flow through her for this man. Then she later wrote this, I discover that it is not on our forgiveness any more than our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on God's. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the commandment, the love itself. Some mention that up until now, the Beatitudes that we've dealt with have all been about lack. So blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That we we have a spiritual emptiness that we're craving the kingdom. But this Beatitude, as we switch, is going to say, blessed are the merciful. And here there's a presence that the people of the kingdom of God carry. This is not a lack. This is something that they carry with them that blesses their community and blesses the people that they interact with. Betsy Timboon, in particular, possessed a mercy that was bathed in the Roman of Jesus. She possessed a compassion that was supernatural, that was beyond what we could ever experience. She possessed a love for people who are literally stripping her and beating her and would be the cause of her death. So much so that on the night before she died, she's having visions. Her heart is being stirred about these people maybe one day coming to Jesus. This isn't a lack that Betsy had, but this is a presence of compassion, of mercy, of real love that you're called to carry she grasped our scripture today she modeled it she completely embodied when jesus said this in matthew 5 7 he said this is our text today blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy in Exodus 34, 6 before the lord passes moses allows moses to catch a glimpse of him passing The Lord proclaims this, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. 
In Luke chapter 23, verses 33 through 34, read this. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, where they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So this morning, I want to help you to understand mercy. I want to spend some time trying to explain how we're called to live a merciful life in hopes that we will embody this characteristic and somehow, by God's grace, express it. So there's a distinction between mercy and grace that we kind of slide over oftentimes, that we don't take time to really try to understand. Grace is defined as a gift. It's why we're called charismatics, because the Greek word for grace is charisma. So we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. But when the Bible talks about God's grace that saves us, the grace that comes to us through the blood of Jesus, it's the same word. It's the word charisma. It means grace. And we are saved by grace. The Greek there is we are saved by charisma. You are saved by a gift. It's being something of value that I didn't earn. It's grace is when God gives me something that I didn't work up. What I earned for my life was depression. What I earned for my life was brokenness. What I earned for my life was loneliness from my own selfishness. But what God gave me was life and life abundantly. He, he gave me something that I didn't earn. That's grace. Mercy from a technical stance. Mercy is when God doesn't give you what you do deserve. Mercy is not a gift. Mercy is the withholding of vengeance. Mercy is the withholding of punishment. Mercy is the fact that I deserve wrath for my own sin. Mercy is I am guilty. I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Mercy is God looking at me a sinner and not giving me the punishment I deserve. Grace is a gift. God gave me abundant life. Mercy is he didn't tear me to pieces with his wrath in the way in which I deserved. There's a distinction there. Grace is a gift that you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. The word... I know we're doing, a, we're talking a lot about Greek here as we work through the Beatitudes because we're taking one little line at a time. Um, we're being a little hyper analytical. But the word aliman, which we translate here, mercy, blessed, blessed are the merciful, it's often trans, translated compassionate. This is something that I, that I wanted to get at and I, and I don't know how to articulate it perfectly. Um, that, that Betsy, particularly in that story, she understood mercy in a way that really grasped the full biblical intention of the word. Because Betsy being merciful was not just that she didn't want the Germans to be punished, but she possessed something towards the Germans. And so the Greek word mercy is also sometimes, we, sometimes we translate it compassion. So it's not just relinquishing punishment, but it's relinquishing punishment because you feel compassion for the person who's wronged you. You feel empathy for the guilty party. And so the Hebrew equivalent, the same word, its root has its, it has its root in the word for a mother's womb. It has its, so, so, for instance, um, Hallet, which is the Hebrew Aramaic lexicon of the Old Testament, Hallet says that the word, the Hebrew equivalent, um, it, it means to, this is a weird word for us, but sometimes means to caress or to hold. Um, it's painting the picture of a mother holding her child. So now the full distinction of this word, the merciful, are that the, to show mercy is to not seek retribution, but it's to not seek retribution because you actually love your enemy as you love yourself. You possess a compassion, a kindness. It's here when you attempt to 
for lack of better words, transcend, transcend your own personal consciousness and you begin to think about what that person must be experiencing. So Betsy's saying, those Germans that are dropping bombs on us are actually entangled in evil and I feel bad for them. It's when you begin to think about when someone's wronged you, the lies that they must be living in, or you begin to think about the, the punishment that should be coming their way and because of your mother-like compassion and empathy, you choose to show kindness. You transcend your own personal consciousness And so to speak, you learn to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. Get beyond my own desires, my own wants, my own well-being. And I learn to love my enemy as I love myself. Love my neighbor as I love myself. Even when they've offered me nothing but betrayal, it's my command, my instruction by Jesus, the most kind and compassionate man who's ever walked the earth, the Lord of lords and the King of kings. That Lord gives me this instruction that I'm to be kind and compassionate even when betrayal is the only thing offered me. That even when you harm me, out of me oozes compassion and mercy and kindness. So if mercy is not getting what you deserve, and merciful people are people who carry empathy and compassion, then we have to start talking about how we are to embody that. And the first thing is this. I just have some, I'm going to be real Baptist on you today, okay? I got about three straightforward points for you. The first thing is this. The merciful are willing to suffer wrong now and then. They understand that taking one on the chin from time to time is a part of loving broken people. They expect it. They're not caught off guard by it. They intend to sacrifice to show love. It's a part of Christ's likeness. You want to talk about taking one on the chin? So I want you to consider your life for a moment. Consider your best friends. Consider your spouse. Consider your coworkers. Think of those people who you love, who haven't come yet to know Jesus, who you're really trying to build a relationship. Think of your children, your grandchildren, your neighbor, your family, and your friends. And I want you to realize that every one of them have the ability to betray you. Every one of them have the ability to harm you. Everybody's got a sister-in-law that gossips a little bit. Just kidding, my sister-in-law doesn't gossip. She doesn't. As soon as that started coming out of my mouth, I said, oh, you better retract that. Better pull that one back. But do you know what I mean? Everyone has a family member who gossips. Everyone has a family member who stabs in the back. To really love, to really have long-lasting relationships, you have to come to grips with the fact that you will be wronged from time to time. You will take one on the chin sooner or later. And if you're going to be kingdom people who really love and care for your community, if we're going to go after the unbeliever, if you really care for and, and want to serve the downtrodden and the broken, if we're going to find some like drug addicted people and really believe for them to get to freedom and to get to life in the gospel, if you believe that this gospel is for the broken and we've got to do anything and everything we can to get this gospel to the broken, then you are setting yourself up to be smacked around every now and then. You've got to settle in your heart with me. I'm talking to myself this morning, by the way. Um, you've got to settle in your heart that if we're going to love people hard, that loving makes us vulnerable. To get close enough to hug somebody is to get close enough to be smacked in the mouth. 
You get in relationship with people. You want to encourage people. You really want to step out and try to love on somebody. You're going to get close enough that they may gossip. They may stab you in the back. They may betray you. They may make promises that they don't, they don't return on. You've got to realize that to get close enough to love somebody is to get close enough to get smacked by somebody. But there is a way that you can protect yourself from these wounds. There is a way that you can protect yourself from betrayal. There is a way that you can protect yourself from gossip. Live in a cave. We can be a church that just stays in this room and pats each other on the back all the time. Don't join a small group. Quit coming to church. Quit caring for people. Just quit praying and just care about yourself. There is a way to protect yourself. It's called abandoning your calling. It's called forgetting who you are. It's called living selfish. There is no way from our perspective that we can live inward focus when we have been shown such kindness by the Lord of all creation. When Jesus has been good to you, how can you not be good to people? And I'm skipping way ahead of myself now, but the prophets were persecuted before you. There was a long line of people who spoke truth, who loved, who took risk. They took risk for the sake of the kingdom. I'm not asking you to make yourself vulnerable for nothing. I'm asking you to make yourself vulnerable in relationships for the glory of Jesus. I'm asking you to love hard people for the sake of this gospel. I'm asking you to put yourself out there every now and then and love somebody. Even even when you know that they have a, a tendency to, to, to God, you put yourself out there anyway because Jesus is worth it. And just get ready because every now and then we're going to take one on the chin. But that's okay. She took it all week. I took it. Yeah, me too. Me too, my friend. Me too, my friend. To really love people, you've got to be willing to be misunderstood, mocked, rejected every now and then. How does it feel when you try to love somebody and share the gospel and they reject you? don't, Don't quit sharing the gospel over rejection, man. Don't let fear of being hurt cripple you. Peter says to Jesus, how many times must I forgive? Seven times? Jesus says, 70 times, seven times. What does Jesus mean? Jesus means you be prepared to keep on forgiving. You live a life understanding that you're going to be wronged and your responsibility, your job, as long as you belong to me, is to just keep forgiving. So merciful people are are willing to take one on the cheek, but they're also aware of the fact that this Christian life, I've got to just hold on to forgiveness. I've got to keep forgiving. And I'm gonna to have to I'm gonna to have to wrestle down bitterness from time to time because this this gospel is much more important than my pride. How many times do I forgive? Seventy times seven? What does he mean? Do you just keep forgiving? Keep keep forgiving. What kind of supernatural love does Betsy Tim Boom possess to pray for Germans as they drop bombs on their house? So the merciful, our first point is the merciful are willing to suffer wrong every now and then. And they are under, they understand that it's coming and they're prepared for it. I'm not above taking one on the chin. The next thing is this. The merciful are not obsessed with retribution. The merciful are not obsessed with revenge. 
Romans 12, 19 says, he says this, Paul tells us not to avenge ourselves for vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. So God is the God of justice. God is going to see to it that all things are set right. Vengeance is not my lane. Retribution is not my lane. Fighting for perfect justice, that's not my lane. My lane is mercy, to keep extending mercy. And I read to you that text from Exodus chapter 34 this morning because I wanted you to hear when God passes Moses and the first way he describes himself is merciful. That I'm a God of mercy. Pastor Corey, who was with us once uh, last week, once said that, um, he said that when you set yourself up on a dating website, the first thing you put up there is not, I'm a little bit overweight. You put you, you put the thing up for you. You say what you want to say first. The first thing God said is that He's merciful. I would have to say I'm a little curvy, y'all. I'm a little curvy on the dating website. I've said this before, and I want to keep saying this. The first coming of Christ was about grace. Was about the so so God, the, our loving God is just, perfectly just, but He's also a loving Father, and our loving Father never brings wrath without first extending the hand of mercy. And so God will set all things right. There's a coming day when all of evil will be demolished, and the earth will be renewed and restored. But before God brings perfect justice, Peter tells us that He is slow in His coming because He's patient towards us, wishing that all would reach repentance. So God. God is patiently waiting before he brings his hand of wrath while he constantly extends his hand of mercy. So God's posture towards the world right now is, I'm extending mercy. I'm going to be slow. I'm going to give you time to repent. His posture is, I am just and I am the God of vengeance, but I am waiting, longing, aching for mercy to extend. I'm a God of mercy. And so we live in an age of mercy. God will bring justice one day. When Jesus' foot touches the Mount of Olives, you can believe that justice is coming. He comes with a sword in his mouth. But until that day, God has commissioned us to be his loving hand of mercy and to scream at our city. God is gracious. He is merciful. He is kind. He is born on his own son's back. Your judgment and your punishment. He's good. Come receive mercy. James tells us in chapter 2, verse 13, he says, Judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. And then he says this, Mercy triumphs over judgment. So his people, God's kingdom people, they highly value mercy. They understand that mercy triumphs over judgment. John Peter Lang, who's a commentator, said this, um, Try to, it's old English, try to read this in a way that makes sense. He, he said that the triumphant assurance with which the evangelizing people, especially that of James, Peter, or Paul, carry towards the Gentile world, it, ex, it excelled over the judging spirit of the Judeas. So what he just said, what this commentator just said was that mercy will triumph over judgment because God's people, the church, we proclaim mercy from the ends of the earth. And every other religion that's propagating a religious spirit, that's propagating you can do, 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 the, the, the gospel of mercy will triumph over the gospel of judgment. He's saying that you, when we preach and we live and we proclaim mercy, we will be so much more attractive than every other religion that's proclaiming judgment, that's, that's propagating little to-do lists. 
He's saying that the merciful people in the church will be much more attractive than the judgmental nature of the religious. And not only will they be more attractive, it will triumph. It will thrive. The KJV doesn't use the word triumph. The KJV says that mercy rejoiceth. You know, I ain't read that in a long time. Mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Woo! Rejoiceth against judgment. It shouts over the voice of judgment. The voice of mercy is much louder than the voice of judgment. When all is said and done, we will glorify Christ for the great mercy that he's shown us. His mercy will reign. His mercy has brought us peace. So vengeance, retribution, final justice, those are God's responsibility. That's God's lane. My commission in the earth is to be a person of mercy. It's to cry out from end to end, from corner to corner. It's to cry out, God is a merciful God. And the last thing is this. People of mercy really value redemption. They don't obsess over retribution because they are obsessing over restoration. They don't obsess over vengeance because they are obsessing over redemption. James tells us to confess our sins one to another so that we may be healed. And I I don't know why I was thinking about this verse this week, but I, I wanted to mention that James assumes that the Christian receiving confession desires the restoration of the guilty party. James says that you should, Christians should confess their sins to one another so that they would be healed. And the assumption is that when someone comes to confess their sins to you, that your desire is not going to be to judge. Your desire is not going to be to throw stones. Your desire is going to be to bring them to a place of healing. He assumes that. It doesn't even explain it. He just concludes that you are a people of mercy. And when someone comes to you and confesses their wrongdoing, that you have no stones to pick up. Because you came into this kingdom by mercy. He assumes that you will hear and forgive. You will listen with patience. You will encourage and uplift. You will help and hold them accountable to live according to who they really are. He assumes that you're longing for the restoration of your community. When wronged, kingdom people, they don't get tangled up on how they can get the person back. They realize that every time they are betrayed, they are given an opportunity to display the gospel of mercy. So when I was young and I first started trying to walk with the Lord, you know, I'm a heathen, okay? Your boy's a heathen, grew up a heathen, I'm a heathen. And I first tried, tried to start walking with the Lord and I've got to overcome some temptation, right? There's, I'm tangled in sin. I'm trying to get out of sin. It's hard work for an 18 year old, you know what I mean? Um, and so I realized one day that every time I was tempted to sin, say I was tempted to let my eyes go too far. I was tempted to gossip. I was tempted to, to steal a little extra food out of the cooler at work. You know what I'm saying? I'm hungry. I can get a little snack. Um, I realized that every time I was tempted, at first I focused on the fact that I would go to overcome this temptation. And then I realized that every time I was tempted, I was actually given two opportunities. One opportunity to fulfill my flesh, to live selfish. And the second opportunity, I was given the opportunity to, in the face of the tempter, in the face of the enemy, say, no, I'm not going to go after my flesh. Jesus is much better than that. And so every time I'm tempted to go after a desire, I have an opportunity to say no to that desire because in saying no to that desire, I'm saying yes to Jesus. 
And that brought fuel to my spiritual fervor. So in the same sense, I'm a married man, hallelujah. So in the same sense, every time I say no to letting my eyes go, I'm saying yes to my wife. And every time I step away from an interaction that feels not quite right, I'm saying yes to my wife. So saying no to temptation is releasing my worship. And I say in the face of the tempter, in the face of the enemy, I say, no, Jesus is better than that. I'm not going there. And I... I realized this week that it's the same thing with, with mercy. Every time I'm betrayed, and every time someone wants to critique me for the sake of critiquing, and every time someone gossips or every time someone stabs me in my back, I am given an opportunity to show that person mercy. This could be an opportunity to get bitter. Yes, it could be. Or it could be an opportunity to put the gospel of Jesus on my lips to extend mercy and then to say to that person, you are forgiven, man. If you only knew of the stuff I was forgiven of. No, I'm going to show you mercy. If you only knew how merciful Jesus has been to me. And I realized this week that if we would take that posture, that every time we are wronged, we're actually given an opportunity, an incredible opportunity. Maybe there's not a better practical display of the gospel than to allow someone to give you one on the chin and then to turn to them and say, no, I've been shown forgiveness, so I'm going to show you forgiveness. I can't paint a better picture of the gospel than that. What if the next time you're stabbed in the back, God is giving you opportunity? What if God is itching to anoint you? What if God is waiting for you to open your mouth? He's like, I'm going to pour out my spirit on your conversation. You show mercy and watch how we're going to turn this person back to redemption. You could be bitter or you could get better. I get that whole thing. I think that's true. Or you could be bitter and share the gospel. I'm suggesting that we, rather than getting bitter, realize that we actually have an incredible opportunity to go to the one who's guilty of wrong and to extend grace and mercy and to just explain for a minute why I extend mercy. Ezekiel tells us that God does not delight in the death of the wicked. Peter tells us that he's patient towards us, wishing that all would reach repentance. Nobody likes being disrespected. Nobody hopes to be mocked or betrayed. But when it comes your way, you're called to be a people who are quick to want to see the guilty party restored. You're called to be a people who just reject bitterness and jump at the opportunity to help that person come to restoration. You actually, like Betsy, this is really crazy. You actually have to be able to carry within you prophetic vision that, that, that this person is gossiping about me and they're acting as a gossip. But you, to be a person of redemption, you have to actually see that this, although this person's acting in gossip, they're actually entangled by the enemy and, and they still carry within them the image of God. And so by extending mercy, I'm going to liberate them out of that, that bondage that the enemy's going to brought them and I'm going to encourage and nudge them towards their calling in Christ Jesus. You have to have vision for the people who are wronging you. You've got to carry vision for the person that's betraying you. You've got to partner with God's vision for the people who are stabbing you in the back. I hate to preach it to you. It's the gospel. (laughs) 
Jesus says that on the last day, he'll say to some, when I was in prison, you visited me. They'll say, Lord, we never visited you in prison. And he'll respond, when you did it to the least of them, you did it to me. Hebrews chapter 13 says that you should remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, as if you yourselves were suffering. I thought about this this week too, that nowhere in the scripture where it talks about visiting the prisoner does it say that you should visit the prisoner who is falsely imprisoned. Nowhere does it say, and maybe it's assumed to some extent that Christians would be in prison for preaching the gospel. Maybe that's assumed. But I can't find anywhere where it says that you should love the prisoner as long as they're innocent. It says that you're supposed to love them and visit them. And that is a really unique way that, that exposes the heart of the gospel. You're, it's not your job to worry about their, their being brought to justice. It's your job to worry about their redemption. It's your job to visit, to love, to care for, to call out purpose, to encourage. He doesn't say, visit the prisoner if they're innocent. He says, visit the prisoner, love them as if you were the one suffering. You are not allowed to carry the I told you so mindset. We are not you got what you deserve kind of people. We are not, you made the bed, now lie in it kind of people. Where you you made the bed and so did I, but God's grace and his power and his strong arm would, would jerk you out of that thing faster than you can believe. There is no pit, no, no, no hole that is not, that, that God's gracious hand doesn't extend much deeper. The love of God will pull you out of that thing. We're not, you made the bed, lay in it, you made the bed, I made the bed, he's going to get us out of it. So we're fighting for redemption. We're hoping for redemption, clinging to redemption. You visit the prisoner, encourage the backslider, fight for those who seem to be helpless. In conclusion, I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 9. Do you have that passage back there, Audrey? Matthew chapter 9, um, verses 10 to 13. Jesus reclined at the table in the house, and behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and reclining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Go and learn what this means. Allow that to pierce your heart this morning. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And do you have that next passage, Audrey? From, from Micah chapter 6. Did I give you that or not? It's okay, it's okay if you don't. Micah says this, concluding his prophetic book. He says, He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice? So you are to do justice. You say, me, I'm to do justice. Then he says, and to love kindness. And that word kindness is the same word for mercy. So this translation says kindness. My translation says mercy. It's the same Hebrew word. So do justice, but love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. You live just, but you love to extend mercy. I was reading a little book this week that um, Sue got for all the staff. We're reading, kind of thinking over. 
And the author was talking about the fact that as you pursue your calling, when you have a vision for who God's calling me to be, and when you start to really pursue that thing, he likened it to climbing a mountain. And as you climb the mountain, you get out of breath, and you get tired, and things get hard, and as you're working, things can get a little difficult. But he said that that, that doesn't mean that you're not called to climb the mountain, that, that at the top of the mountain, there is a view that you can never get from the bottom. And so what he was saying is that as you pursue your calling, you're also willingly allowing God to put his fire under your butt and, and purify you. That I, I am and, and we are, this is what I want to say, as we as a church, we keep saying that we are going to be a church that exists to reach this community. We want to see this community experience a move of God. We're going to love people. We're going to be selfless. As we pursue that call, we are in the same with the same breath, we are willingly saying God is, we're admitting that God is going to purify us. That God is going to challenge us. And if we get more people in the room, if we start reaching people in the community, we're going to have more problems. Okay? The stall is clean when there are no oxen in it. You put the oxen in it, you got doo-doo. Alright? I changed more diapers than you want to know about. My wife changes more. Forgive me. I changed when she asked. I do my best. But do you hear what I'm saying? If this is what I felt like God was speaking as I was studying and kind of reading through and praying over this word, I felt like God said that we, you, he spoke it to, felt like he was speaking it to me, but for all of us, if we don't learn to be people of mercy, we'll actually sacrifice our calling. If we can't be kind when we're wronged, if we can't take a little criticism every now and then, this is for me. If we can't allow people to speak, if we can't enter into relationship with people knowing that they're going to wrong us and respond with mercy, there are people that God's going to bring who are tangled up in sin, who are going to maybe treat us like trash from time to time. And if we can't keep our vision for who God's calling them to be, and if we don't really believe in the power of the gospel that can transform lives, that can break you out of your bondage and lead you into real gospel, selfless life, if I don't believe that, then all I'm getting myself into is a mess. And if I can't live in a way that really shows mercy and compassion, then, then, then us pursuing the heart of people is only asking for problems. Thank you for listening to this Sunday sermon. Subscribe to our podcast for new messages weekly. Visit ChristianRenewalHHI.org for more resources. We hope you have a blessed week.